Hey guys, welcome back to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we dive deep into stories of Asian entrepreneurs around the world. Be sure to check out our book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, and check out our directory and marketplace at AsianHustleNetwork.com. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. If you like this podcast, don't forget to leave a five-star review. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network Podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast. Today we have David Shao. David is a successful entrepreneur. We're really excited to have him on the show today. David, tell us about yourself a bit. Who are you and what kind of entrepreneur are you? Great. Hi, everyone. First of all, thanks for having me on Asian Hustle Network. It's an honor to be on. My name is David. I'm originally Taiwanese. I was born in California. Uh, Shortly after a few years there, I moved with my family over to Beijing, China, where I proceeded to spend the the next 20 years there. Uh, Basically, grew up and educated in China. And then... After after finishing high school, I came back to California to get my bachelor's in economics. And then right after graduation, I returned back to Beijing again for work. So I'd been spent most of my professional career in Asia, hopping around different cities there. Current, currently in back in the U.S. again. My main career is currently in crypto. I do all kinds of things in crypto. To keep it short, in 2000, early 2017, we started a cryptocurrency consultancy called Black Diamond. At the same time, we also started a media company called Block Journal, which is a monthly digital magazine covering all things in blockchain, tech, crypto. We want to keep Block Journal easy to understand, entertaining and informative for readers. It was just something that was lacking at the time. I can elaborate more on that later. Currently, we're working on a, a NFT called Astro Baby Club, which I would love to talk more about too. That's sort of the uh, just of what's what's been going on the last five, six years. All of that sounds really cool. I think just starting off, like you spend most of your life in China. I think having you in the podcast today, I couldn't even tell that's the case. Just like mm-hmm. your demeanor, the way, honestly, there's no accent when you talk. And I'm kind of curious too. Yeah, I get that. I get that a lot. <laughs> I'm kind of curious. Like I myself have always wanted to live in Asia for a bit and see what's out there. What was it like growing up in China? compared to misconceptions that we do have in the West, in the Western world. What was it like growing up in China and actually like starting your career off in China and now coming back to the U.S., what are the key differences that you're seeing? Great question. So I got to Beijing in 1996, and this was shortly, only a few years really, after Deng Xiaoping sort of opened up the country to the West or to the global markets. Back in 1996, when we first got there, Beijing itself particularly was much like any other city in China. Fast forward to today, it's uh, obviously a tier one city. It's quite dominant in entertainment and finance globally. And China China has, of course, risen to become a superpower since then. But back then, it was back then it was really quite simple. When we were children there growing up, I, I attended an international school there, which hence no accent. But we, it was really just quite a simple life until I remember vividly around 2003 is when the real estate market started really picking up there. You would see multiples of growth, much faster growth around then, especially leading up to 2008 when the Olympics was first held in Beijing. That was a big change because you started seeing 
basically from 2005 to eight, those three years, China, the government started building up the country's infrastructure a lot quicker. And you would start seeing high rises pop up much faster. And that's also when I noticed the city itself became a lot more internationalized. You would start seeing a lot more foreigners and expats. All these multinational companies started entering China throughout the, that, that, about that decade. So when I graduated in 2008, it was a lot different from when we first arrived. I, I, Beijing, I think Beijing to me will always be a home. It, it always have a familiar, familiar place in my heart, but it definitely changed a lot. And um, in terms of business, so <clears throat> I went to, I went to school, I went to school in uh, California after for college. And then after four years, if you're around the same age, 2008 was like the worst time to be entering school. And also 2012 was probably the worst time to be looking for jobs. So after college, it was a pretty tough time because I had trouble debating what I wanted to do at the time. My first instinct was to go the route of what a lot of my peers and people at that time were doing. So I looked into consulting. I looked into banking, finance, that field. <clears throat> I remember flying over to New York to interview for a bunch of jobs over here. And at the end of the day, I realized a couple of things. One was... I thought where the next big moves or the next biggest growth markets would be. I still thought China would probably be the best place at the time. Another reason was more personal where I felt as an Asian in America, it's pretty tough to climb the corporate ladder here, especially at the top. I had pretty big ambitions when I was uh, uh, out of college. I didn't know what I wanted to do yet, but I know I wanted to do something big. At the time, I thought since I already have a base and connections in China or in, in Asia in general, I figured it might be best to move back there and give it a shot. At 22, I went back to Beijing and started working there again. To answer your question about what sort of the major differences are, I think particularly from learning from working in crypto, China's sort of a beast to deal with in terms of business. There's a lot of gray area. That's the biggest thing, probably the biggest difference I noticed between the US and China in terms of the working or business environment. Starting a business over there is quite a lot tougher. Things in the US are done much more systematically. I'd like to describe it as more black and white, where there are rules in place and there's a system that supports those rules and they follow those rules. Whereas in China, it's a lot more to do with maybe interpersonal relationships. And I think the rules are, the system there isn't as established as, as it is in the West yet. I think it's getting there, but it might take a while. I think the large population probably plays and culture probably plays a role in that. Yeah, I definitely heard that too from other business friends in China, especially they kept telling me like the innovation in China is actually really fast. The rate of growth is fast. The entrepreneurial feel is very cutthroat compared to the U.S. side. You say that the U.S. sort of plays fair, but in China, you don't play fair. You just try to win at all costs, which is really interesting for me to hear. And it's really interesting to hear that perspective too. I kind of want to talk about, you know, Honestly, like I know that you worked in the hotel business right after college and you wanted to get to restaurants. What made you transition from that original dream and getting yourself into a fintech startup? Good question. So when I first got to when I first got back to China, my first job there was since I didn't come from a food and beverage background, I didn't have a degree in hospitality. I didn't study that. But my family has always been dabbling with the food and beverage business and hospitality. My family was into restaurants. They did bakeries, restaurants, and factories uh, producing food, wholesale, things like that, and the hotel business. So when I got back, that was a natural thing I wanted to do, uh, maybe get into sort of part of the family business. So my first job back, I contacted a friend who worked at the Opposite House Hotel, which was at the time one of the top hotels in Beijing. It, it was a boutique hotel, very fancy artistic type of hotel. I started off there and I bartended there actually for six months. 
just to get my feet wet in the whole hospitality business. Those were really fun times. I remember getting, we would get to work at around 4 p.m. and then finish, around, close out around 2 a.m. So I was basically a night owl at that time. And then after that, found six months working in a bar was enough experience in hands-on there. So I moved over to, moved over to Park High Hotel. It was the number one hotel in Beijing at the time. I did event coordination in Parkai, and that's where I feel like I've learned most of what I know about hospitality. The standards there were extremely high, which is exactly what I wanted to learn from. I felt if you could learn from the best, then maybe if you started your own business in hospitality or food and beverage, then it would emanate or have reflect off my experience at Parkai. During my time at Parkai, it was very stressful. We were working probably 16-hour days. The pay was really bad. I have nothing bad to say about Parkai, but it was a very stressful time. And I thought at that point in my career, what is the top of this business? How would I envision the top of this business? What is the ultimate position I can reach? And that would probably be my next level up would be manager. And then GM would be the top of the hotel. And then after that, you'd probably be greater area, Northern China GM, which I thought I envisioned myself in, even in, in that position, maybe a decade later, is that something I wanted to do? And then the answer really was no. Uh, I didn't want to just work for a company, my another company my whole life. And basically make money for others. I was working really hard hours. I was pulling in a lot of revenue at the time for the hotel, but none of it went to me or anybody around me or my co colleagues who really just went to the company. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not something I wanted to do forever. So after that, after Park Hyatt, a friend of mine reached out and asked me if I wanted to join his fintech startup. Briefly, what this fintech startup was doing was they were transferring money overseas. It's like transfer-wise, this company that does the overseas transfers and exchanges. But the, at the interesting about this company was they were doing it with Bitcoin. So what they would do is transfer money overseas and then convert Bitcoin to cover the difference. And then that's how they would get money to different countries. I don't know if that company worked out, but that was my first real exposure to Bitcoin and crypto. Wow. That's quite an amazing journey to hear that already. And hearing about all your experiences too, and the hospitality business, it's a tough business, right? It is. It is. Yeah, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of smiles everywhere, greeting, <laughs> getting the stuff done. And the way that you reflect your mentality is very millennial. Like, I think all <laughs> of us go to that life crisis at one point in like our early careers. Is this all there is to life? Is this all I want to do in life? And I feel like more so than other generations, millennials are very attracted to like entrepreneurship. There's something very sexy about it, right? You want to be our own boss. Like you want to make more money. You want to have impact in the world. But then when you finally get to entrepreneurship, it's a lot tougher than... The TV shows make it out to seem. The TV shows like you have nice suits, nice cars, you're flying everywhere. Half of that's probably true to a certain extent, but the other side is like entrepreneurship demands almost like your entire focus, your life, your dedication to making it successful. And when you got to forming the Black Diamond Group in 2017, what was your first like six months to a year like? How has your mentality changed from employee to employer? And I feel like a lot of people have a very interesting transition, right? It's, oh no, like I'm the leader. I feel every single decision. I feel every single consequence that I make. So what was your first six months like? <laughs> Good question. In terms of the whole, what you mentioned about the whole millennial thing, I think it's something I exactly like I felt too. I think it's an attitude of I'd rather die or burn and crash on my own, doing my own thing and trying than just living a stable life every day with not much interest, at least for me personally. In terms of Black Diamond, so... After leaving the fintech startup, I was in a period where I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. However, I was really interested in crypto at the time. I started reading. That was my first time really just researching more about crypto. I remember Bitcoin at the time was around, it was probably around $2,000. And the whole market was maybe $10 billion, $20 billion market cap. Today, obviously, it's a lot bigger. 
But at that time, I just found it really interesting because I started using it. I started using crypto in terms of setting money around. And I realized it was a couple of things about it. One is it's anonymous. Two, it's really fast. And three, it didn't have the uh, regulatory oversight at the time where you could send it to any person in any country within a matter of seconds. So that's what I found re- the first thing that really sparked my attention towards it. And then I started reading about it every single day. As I was doing that, I started going to different conferences. And this was the beginning of the company. I attended a conference in Beijing where I met one of my partners in Singapore. He worked at a crypto company at the time. And we started talking about just the industry, what we thought of the whole business. And then we started thinking about where there were voids in the market at the time. In 2017, the the whole crypto business wasn't even close to as established as today. The main focus was on Bitcoin, Ethereum, maybe a few of the other top coins, and then there were some exchanges popping up, which supported the trading of the coins. I guess the third business would have been miners. These were really the only few businesses at the time, the only types of businesses in this business in this industry that I thought would be a really big business one day. So we thought about what was missing. We realized that in the future, in the very near future, it, it was very possible that this business would get bigger. So that was the first question I asked myself if I wanted to really dive fully into crypto. One is that in five years' time, would this business be bigger or smaller or gone? And I was pretty sure at the time that it was going to be bigger. So we decided, oh, okay, if it's an industry that's going to be growing, and so far there's not much to it, I think we could. there's a chance here, an opportunity here to be starting something that could leave an impact and also at least it'd be growing. So we started a consultancy because we looked at the business, these three categories, and we realized if this business were to get bigger one day, there's going to be more tokens, there are going to be more exchanges, and with that comes a lot of a need for sort of ancillary help. For example, if you look at traditional businesses like banks or uh, media businesses, any business, they need PR. They need people underwriting when they go public, all these types of things. And Bitcoin and crypto, I didn't see anything, any difference there. We figured that these companies that were popping up would need help in all types of ways. So we started up Black Diamond, which is a full service consultancy. We focused mainly on helping companies with marketing, social media management, building communities. Because at the time, if you could conquer sort of social media at the time, then your company would have a much higher chance of success in crypto, especially when you're launching a new token, which there were a lot in 2017, probably tens of thousands. And then we started working with exchanges too. At the time, I remember there were about 10, there were tens of thousands of exchanges popping up at the time. Now, of course, there's only probably a few hundred that survived 2017. But yeah, so that was the, that was how the Black Diamond started. At the same time, we started the media company for the same, very similar reasons. There was no Forbes or Bloomberg media for crypto at the time. And we figured that eventually people needed, from a retail standpoint, people needed to read about it. People needed to learn about crypto and follow up with news. So that's why we started Block Journal. The first six months were, honestly, it didn't feel that tough at the time because we were starting a new thing. It was actually fun. Just we were learning as we were going. It was a lot of, for all my partners and myself, it was the first venture into ownership. We were just learning as we were going. And we really just tried to network as much as we possibly could. We started off with Black Diamond, but it turns out that Block Journal, the media company, actually brought in most of our business because <clears throat> what we would do is, um, so it was a monthly magazine, we would find people to feature an interview to put on the cover. And what we found was that at the time was it was such a small circle of people in the business in crypto at the time that it was really easy to get access to compared to other industries. If I started a, a traditional finance magazine and tried to interview people like Buffett or people at BlackRock hedge funds, it'd be virtually impossible. But 
when we started Block Journal, these people who were like titans in crypto already were really open to us interviewing them. And in turn, after speaking with them, getting to know them through interviewing them, we we grew up, we gained our, gained a lot of connections that way, and that helped a lot in our consulting side of the business, where we had helped we would eventually work end up working with these companies after interviewing them and featuring them. Yeah, I love that story a lot. And essentially, I think there's a word for that. It's called building social capital. Whenever you're meeting a lot more people, you're interviewing them. I think it comes to that philosophy of give first and take later, which is absolutely important in business. And when I have entrepreneurs ask me after the podcast, hey, like I'm a new entrepreneur, how to get started? I have no traction. My biggest thing is like interview people and create your own podcast or something because you're building that relationship that's so valuable. And also you're learning a lot too as you're speaking to more and more entrepreneurs. And I really like the fact, I really like the idea behind Block Journal as well, right? I'm an avid reader of like TechCrunch. I read TechCrunch every single day. I read Wall Street Journal every day. And you're right. There is a missing gap for the crypto market, the crypto news. Like how do you hear more reliable news? And you really think back to how crypto is right now is really comparable to the internet in like the early 1990s. There's a lot of noise. And to be honest, when you go out, no offense, when you go out to like crypto events or crypto conferences, I feel like the information is not quite mature enough yet. So how to find a reliable source. And I really thank you for taking the effort to do that and create and vet news for people who like who want to get into crypto and want to learn more. I want to talk a little bit more about NFT Astro Baby Club. What is this? Why'd you start it? What's the purpose behind it? What do you hope that it will become? Absolutely. That's probably the most exciting thing that's come up for me personally in business in the last couple of years. We started Astro Baby Club. One was because we did want to get into the NFT business. Two, we wanted to create something that was fun too. After working so many years in crypto, you're dealing with a lot of numbers. Uh, you spend most of the time on your computer, especially with the pandemic the last couple of years. Most of the time is really just dealing with charts and numbers, market caps, things like that. Even though everyone we work with, we all love the crypto business, I think we'll probably be doing it for the rest of our lives. But we wanted to do something that was fun with art. It brings a side of passion and creativity that just doesn't exist with crypto and tech, I guess, in a lot of ways. So what we do with Astro Baby Club is we found our, our friends who were artists. We picked these artists out. We talked to them about starting an NFT together. And we wanted to create art that was fun and cute. That was the beginning. The main goal in the long term is we want to be pushing limits in Web3 where we could test what could be done because it's still so early in the whole Web3 and NFT business where it's like crypto in 2017, 16, where people don't really know where the business is heading, where the industry is heading. But I think being a part of it, just to get our toes into this whole NFT business, it gives us a chance to play around and see what we can do. Our whole team is all Asians. All the artists are Asians. We wanted to, in terms of the artists, I wanted to give creators a platform where they could not only showcase their art, but also express their creativity and their fun side. When we started drawing and creating all this art for Astro Baby Club, I wanted to give each of the artists free reign on what they wanted to do with the art. So our Astro Baby Club is generated from over 200 traits, where it's each 200 of these traits are individually drawn by, hand-drawn by various different artists. When you randomly generate them together, it creates a lot of excitement and fun in terms of what you're going to get in the final piece of art. That's something I thought was really fun, and I wanted to make sure our entire team was having fun. After working in crypto for so long, I think it was about time we did something more creative and fun. Later on, we do want to build Astro Baby Club into what they call digital brand, where it's physical and digital brand, where you can have metaverse clothing or real-life products. This is something we're looking to do very much in the near future. 
I love to hear it. It's so exciting. And I did attend NFT Week in New York this year in June. Hope to see that huh. you guys have a booth and you guys have an event next year. I would definitely be there to attend and support. Great. I was there too. We actually hosted our launch party for Astro Baby Club at that time too. We found this venue in Double Chicken, please. This great lounge in New York had about 100 people came out to enjoy enjoy a night of uh, NFTs and talking metaverse and drinks and food. It was good. Next year. <laughs> I'll definitely be there next year for sure to support you, David. As we're recording this podcast, given the state of the NFT markets right now, are you bullish on NFTs? Are you worried in some ways? This is just my opinion. I just want to put it out there. I feel like a lot of NFT is based upon community, which the community is very strong, by the way. Also, with the community also comes a lot of hype, a lot of emotion involved. As you see, when people lost confidence, the, the price declines sharply. We see massive layoffs, my OpenSea, all these other crypto platforms. I just want to hear what your take is. It can be a hot take too on the NFT crypto markets in the next, let's say, for five to 10 years. The way I feel about NFT today is exactly how I felt about crypto in 2017. I knew that this fever and hype wouldn't last. From 2017 to 18, there was probably a four-month period where it was just like NFTs this past year and from 2020 to 2021. Right now, I would definitely say we're in a bearish trend. But these trends are always up and down. And that's something I've come to learn from being in crypto all these years, where it's not something I'm concerned about at all. I think you have to really look into the underlying technology. You have to look at the business as a whole and try to foresee. You can only, all we can do is try our best to foresee how it's going to look in a few years. Again, I'm asking myself the same question. Will it be bigger or smaller or gone in a few years? I still think it'll be bigger. I really do think this is just the beginning. With NFTs, sure, there's like Bored Apes, Azukis, all these high NFTs that got really hyped. But I highly doubt that's that's the end-all, be-all goal of NFTs. We're looking at a lot. I think we're looking at a lot more large companies and traditional companies entering or incorporating NFTs in some way, whether it's through tokenizing items. Right now, we're seeing, for example, like Tiffany & Co. just did a uh, NFT with CryptoPunks. I think we'll start seeing a lot of, for example, we'll see events companies using NFTs as tickets. We'll start having maybe sports memorabilia connected to NFTs. I think tokenization and uh, this technology is here to stay. In terms of how it's so similar to 2017, we saw a rise of thousands of tokens pop up. At the time, most people who had a good head on their shoulders probably knew that most of them wouldn't last, and they didn't. Probably, I would guess, maybe 1% of the companies from 2017 have survived till today in terms of cryptocurrencies. I think NFTs will be the same. I think it'll depend on the people who've not, not only had a good idea, but maybe even more importantly, the people who can, like your background, they're saying always hustling, right? The people who can keep hustling and just keep on going no matter what the market trend is, those are the ones that will succeed. I predict in a couple of years time, probably 99% of these companies will be gone too. Whether it's large or small, it'll depend on who's the persistence to keep going. Yeah. Not just in crypto, right? I think it's in every business. I think I saw a statement by Y Combinator recently and their statement is, conserve your cash flow, stay alive. Most importantly, stay alive. Because the longer you can stay alive, the more you can get more of the market share. Because your competitors will eventually Ran on money, buy for bankruptcy or fail. And just honestly, the name of the game sometimes in business is just staying alive. <laughs> Whether that's your financial Absolutely. or your energy, right? As a founder, sometimes you're making good money, but then you lose the passion for what you're working at. And that's also very detrimental to business. Absolutely. Indeed. Right now, to me, not only in crypto, but I think cash is king right now. Staying exactly like you said, staying alive is the most important because as long as you have cash flow left, or you have reserves, 
you can stay alive. You just got to wait it out, especially in crypto and NFTs. It's really just about waiting it out till the next bull run, which always comes. People in 2018 to 19, what we call like crypto winter, those two years were tough. Clients were strapped with cash from the consultancy side. We got paid a lot less. It was harder to close leads. What we did in that time, we still kept going out to conferences. We flew to different conferences probably every week. We were in Korea, Singapore, Indonesia, Vietnam, Beijing, Shanghai. That's all we did. We just kept networking. There was a, probably a good period of quite a few months where we didn't make a single dollar. We were just burning cash fly, flying around and meeting people. But hey, from 2018 to 19, after passing that, came 2020, another bull run, as pretty much as predicted. These are just market cycles. Staying alive is the most important. Same with NFTs and any other business. Yeah, definitely. 100%, man. I know that feeling too, when you're just flying around networking, burning cash, and you're just getting paranoid. You're like, oh my God, am I even making the right decisions right now? <laughs> I have no idea. So I guess as we're getting to the end of the podcast, I want to ask a personal question. My question is, David, as an entrepreneur doing this business for five years, how do you take care of your, not only physical well-being, but your mental well-being as well as an entrepreneur? Oh, great question. That's something I've been thinking a lot about recently. I personally think exercise is really important. I try to exercise as much as I possibly can. In terms of a mental well-being, I think it's easy to be happy in crypto or this business, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, when things are going well. 2017, I was happy every single day. I woke up happy, just nothing, didn't need to think about mental health or exercise. It was just good because the numbers were there, the money was there. But then 2018, 19 was a lot slower. So during that time, we just kept busy. Right now, it's also reached another slow point where I envision we'll probably have to wait another year or two before business really picks up again. But I'm a lot more used to that now. I think mental health is incredibly important because when you're not happy, you're not making the right decisions or when you're stressed out or feeling paranoid about things, which I think every entrepreneur goes through sometimes. But that's the path we chose. I think it's good for me to personally always remember, no matter how bad things get, when I look at it holistically, this is still better than working those 16 hour days at the hotels that's one way to put it it's lesser two evils in some ways <laughs> i think it's also important to just remember that no matter what you're doing if you choose to be an entrepreneur i'm sure it's because yeah most people have a passion for what they're doing they're really interested or they feel they can make an impact with what they're doing that's something i think we're still doing as with our companies every single day whether it's a bear market or bull market at least we're making an impact that's something that also we're doing with people that we love working with that's something that I think is pretty priceless. Yeah, absolutely, man. I really appreciate all those insights too. Running a business is tough. Being an entrepreneur is tough. It's often very lonely. You gotta do what you, what you can. You gotta do what you can to like really keep yourself in check because sometimes there's no one else to keep yourself in check besides yourself. Yeah, exactly. And some days, of course, even I don't want to be getting back to work, but you just gotta keep, like it says, always hustling. That's exactly. all we can do. And then wait for the good days because they will come if you just keep trying. Yeah, absolutely. And one more thing before we end up that statement, I feel like entrepreneurship, there's always more bad days and good days, but for every good that it comes by, it makes up for all the bad days you go through. Absolutely. For me, it's a sense of accomplishment when things finally work out and it makes years of pain and suffering worth it. <laughs> absolutely. David, how can our listeners find out more about you and reach out to you online? My main contact would probably be Twitter. So you can follow me at crypto. My handle is Crypto Godfather. A handle I came up with a long time ago. You can also follow Block Journal or Astro Baby Club on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. We'll include all that on the show notes. David, thank you so much for being the podcast today. It was so much fun. Hey, thank you so much for having me. A big fan of what you guys do. Keep up the good work. Awesome. Thank you. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five star review. 
We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much. <laughs>